tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Oh, you know, this is for me a very bittersweet feast. You know, I, I, uh, we really celebrated it uh, when I was a kid. That was a big deal. I mean, the idea of praying, well, we're going to talk about it, but the idea of praying for those who've gone before, it's a very powerful idea and a very important one. So that said, let us, um, let us um, pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle them the light of your, enkindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit; they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same Spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in His comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace; the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. May the souls of the faithfully departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Eternal light, give to them, O Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the the big book on the coffee table. And uh, uh, let's just go straight to the first reading. And at some point, um, we're going to look at, well, we're going to look at Psalm 23, too, because it's important. But let's let's start with the first reading, Wisdom, the third chapter, the first to the ninth verse. Well, you'd think I'd just jump into that, but no, 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 no. We're going to go to uh, uh, the uh, Tuesday of the 30th week in Ordinary Time, which we've always d- already done, Romans, the eighth chapter. That's the letter that we're kind of going through, about which I have harebrained theories, but this isn't a harebrained theory here. Uh, well, maybe it is. Romans, the eighth chapter, the 18th to the 25th verse. That's the reading from last Tuesday. And we read, Creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. For creation was subject, made subject to futility. I mean, this is, this is a real, to me, this is a real important idea. The idea that, that creation is not perfect. This is, this is part of what we believe as Catholics. Uh, was it the philosophes I, I mentioned? Uh, the French philosophes, I think Rousseau in particular, said this is the most perfect of all possible worlds. No, it's not. Heaven is. And for us to believe that this is a perfect world, well, it's not. And I, I just want to quickly look at that word futility because it's kind of an interesting uh, 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 word. Let's see. Um, it, it's The word is... is, is um, uh, matiotis, uh, 
Matiotis. I get my accent. No, I was right. Matiotis. I was right about the accent. Um, what it really means is emptiness. Uh, um, like a person would be empty-headed or something that aimlessness, a lacking of purpose. Matthias, it just means empty. Uh, as in your head can be empty, your, your plans can be empty. So the world was made subject to, to pointlessness. This is real important to lay hold of. And I think I shared with you that Rabbi Lefkowitz taught me about the second day of creation, that it, it was the only day uh, of the of the six days of creation. Remember, okay, let's let's back up here. The earth was not made in seven days. It was made in six. On the seventh day, God rested, and Eve was made in the twilight between the sixth and the seventh day. But in Hebrew thought, six is a very bad number. Seven is the number of perfection. Six fails to arrive at perfection. So when you see six in the scriptures, it's bad. There are seven colors in the rainbow. And it's interesting to me that in a rainbow that is currently popular on many flags displayed in many interesting neighborhoods, there are only six colors. The rainbow is seven colors. Isn't that interesting? But six is a sign of failure. And uh, the world was built with failure. Second day of creation is not good. Uh, it's the one day in which God does not, this text does not say God saw what he had made and saw that it was good. Now, at the end, of course, he says God saw all that he had made and it was good. But the second day stands out because the heavenly waters were separated from the earthly waters. And we read in the Gospel of John that that the heavenly waters referred to the Holy Spirit. Though the Holy Spirit was instrumental in the creation of the world, the Holy Spirit was not resident in the whole of the world. So this is important. Why, 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 why are you talking about this today on the Feast of All Souls? Because death is part of this world. And we, we want the world to be a kind of 30-minute sitcom in which everything is, is resolved and there's a laugh track. And we Catholics, especially if we say the rosary, we talk about this valley of tears. And why isn't the world better? Well, God intended it to be subject to futility. Well, okay, why? Well, because God wants us to enter into a, a, a more wonderful world, which is eternal. But we can only do that by being in a relationship with God by trust. We're, we need to, to trust God and so enter into the paternal relationship that we have with God, that we're to be brought into a family with a father we can trust. You know, um, we read in the letter of the Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, remember the translation that I always insist on for faith. It means trust. The verb and the noun both mean trust. And that makes more sense. Without trust, it is impossible to please God. You, many of you, are parents. And when your children are, are, are 
tiny. They trust you completely. You know, daddy comes home exhausted and Junior says, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And daddy picks him up and throws him over his head. The kid's laughing. Daddy throws him over his head. The kid's laughing. Finally, daddy gets tired and puts the kid down and the kid says, more, more. If there was a giant who was maybe four times my height, who picked me up and threw me over his head, I would be thinking of two people, a good lawyer and a good chiropractor. It would be terrifying. But you see, that kid so trusts his father. I have a dear friend uh, named Jose, who, uh, as a young man in Cuba, as a child in Cuba, would go to the seaside with his father. And there was a this rock that dad would go swimming in the ocean and and little Jose would stand up on the rock and uh, uh, dad would say, jump, I'll catch you. And Jose would say, he said, no, jump, I'll catch you. Finally, little Jose would give in and jump in. My friend would jump in and I was always caught by his father. Um, that's why God has made an imperfect world that we might come into the proper relationship, that we might be saved by grace through trust. And this is why death (laughs) is an integral part of this valley of tears. It's terrifying. It is jumping into the unknown, just like my friend Jose. It's jumping into the unknown. I don't know that I'll survive it. You know, I know I have all sorts of stories of people who, as I always say, died and lived to tell about it, that sort of thing. Um, It's almost become a commonplace. (laughs) I remember the the joke about the the guy who's at a big revival meeting, and the preacher says, who here wants to go to heaven? Everybody raises uh, their hand except for one guy. And after the, the, the assembly is dismissed, the preacher goes on and says to this one guy, you don't want to go to heaven? He says, oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Well, why didn't you raise your hand? Well, because I thought you meant right now. Uh, yeah, thank you, Bart. Thank you, Bart. That is a cute story. But, you know, we all talk about heaven when we die, but <laughs> we have to mention that it takes dying to get there. And that's be just like my friend Jose jumping off the rock into his father's arms. And it's going to take some real coaxing uh, for that jump. So uh, let's look at this uh, text. Um, uh, The souls of the just are in the hand of God. Well, of course, I'm not going to look straight at it. I'm going to go to the text, the chapter before it. Um, We read in the chapter before it, where did I, where did I go? Hold on. Now I've lost my, uh, I've lost my way in the the big book on the coffee table. Okay. Do you ever have deja vu, the, Mrs. Lancaster? Uh, I don't think we have it. I'll check in the kitchen. That's the line from this. All right. This is, uh, of course, the the reading from Wisdom. I want to go to Wisdom, the second chapter, which means I have to click that button, and then I have to click that button. Ah, there I am. Um, it it um, talks about... Uh, um, the Lord being, uh, you know, righteous and and talks about the chosen one of God. Let us condemn him to a shameful death for according to his own words, God will take care of him. This was a consider. This was considered a prophecy of, of, of Christ. Uh, so they did not know the hidden counsels of God. This is, this is uh, the second chapter of um, uh, the book of wisdom. 
And the 22nd verse, neither did they count a recompense for holiness, nor discern the innocent soul's reward. Now, here we go. 24, God formed us to be imperishable. The image, in the image of his own nature, he made us. But by the envy of the devil, death entered the world, and they who are allied with him experience it. Then we move on to our reading, uh, the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. It continues. Remember, there were no chapters or verses in the original text. It goes into the, the souls of the righteous. And what does the devil have to be made, to be jealous of? Think about it. Um, I've shared this idea with you before, but I haven't shared it in a while, so I'll share it again. Um, why would the devil be jealous of us, the 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 devil is immortal. He doesn't suffer death. Uh, the devil is a fallen angels, and angels are as compared to us. They might as well be infinitely knowing. They're not all knowing, but they sure know a lot more than I do. They they're not all powerful. They're sure a lot more powerful than I am. Why would the devil be jealous of me? Well, because God gave human beings something He did not give the angels. And the angels, I believe, who remained in heaven, uh, who were not cast out of heaven, those angels were humble. And they were able to say, well, if this is what God wants, then this is what we want. Um, God's will was done in heaven. Um, I have a letter asking about that. I might get to it today. But the devil thought, well, <laughs> if God is going to, if this this person I've revered is God. These persons uh, are going to consort with the human vermin, these worms, then must not be God. <laughs> he denied the plan of God. That's the tradition. It's not really biblical, but it's a strong tradition. So, well, back to the theme. What what does God have, what do the devils have to be jealous about Um with us human beings, that that God gave us a privilege he did not give the devils. He didn't share this with the angels. The fallen ones and the ones who remained in heaven didn't share this. The power of creativity. It's very interesting. In the first uh, lines of, of, of the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word is bara, which as I understand it, is only used in terms of God's creation. It isn't the word that we use for human creativity, but this is unique to God, this, this, this verb of creativity. Well, he did share it with us. A man and a woman, in, well, first of all, art. There's a creativity in art. There's a creativity in architecture. There's a creativity in music. And the devil hates good art. The devil hates good music. The devil hates beautiful architecture. And we are in a particularly demonic period. I mean, look at look at uh, a demonic period of history. Look at the movies that are coming out of Hollywood. My classmate, Father Branken, says, yes, it's mean people doing ugly things to each other. That's pretty much uh, um, modern movies. And uh, even even the comedies are, are can be cruel. But the, 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 the spewing of this... These demonic movies, especially at, at, at the time of Halloween, uh, it's frightening. All this violence and, and pseudo-occult stuff that, that 
this is bad art. And, and the devil really likes bad art. He likes bad music. I mean, I complain regularly about the bad music that passes for art in our churches. And of course, churches that, that are the brutalist architecture of churches. There's a, uh, an altar that was just consecrated in a new church in, in, in Germany that it's ridiculous. It looks like a soup bowl. It's very, you know, it's, it's completely un, unattractive. It doesn't lift the heart and mind to God. It just takes the heart and says, look at this. Here it is, a great lump. Brutalist architecture. It's become very popular in church architecture. And uh, thank God there are some um, church ar architects building things, once again, that are beautiful. And I'm not against modern art. I found some very beautiful modern art, but it's 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 kind of rare. Okay, but the, the big thing that the devil hates most of all is children. A man and a woman, and they're coming together, can create something that is immortal. God creates the soul, but human beings, in their physicality, create the body. And if the resurrection is true, and I'm counting on it, then in a certain sense, a man and a woman, and they're coming together, create something that is designed to be immortal. <laughs> That's amazing. And so when we celebrate this feast, what we're celebrating is a feast of trust and a feast of immortality. Uh, this wonderful, wonderful feast of all souls. Now, so much more to be said. I, I, I've had heard so many people say, um, in fact, there's one called in on this show, a beautiful story uh, a few years ago, that uh, people who hear the prayers of, of everyone praying, but especially people praying for them. I remember hearing this wonderful story about a, a fellow who was, he was, a, a, I heard this from him. He was a, um, a, a one of our listeners. I don't know if he still listens, but uh, a woman who he knew quite well, died of a heart attack and he was a first responder and he was reviving her. And when they got her to the hospital, uh, she thanked him for praying for her. And he said, how did you know I was praying for you? I was praying silently. And while you were dead, no, no, I could hear you praying. When we pray for those who've gone before, we stand before God's throne with them. We we're loving them. They haven't stopped loving us. Fact is, I think they love us more because they're standing before God who is love if they've died in a state of grace and they love us more and we should not stop loving them. We should stand with them as they, as they go through their life's review, which I believe is the same as judgment, the same as purgatory. So this is a great feast. Uh, don't let it, don't let it go without, without praying for those you love who've gone before and understand that, that death from this side is a very, I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine who had, um, died in a car accident. They didn't get her body revived. Well, she she was dead until they got her to the hospital morgue. And she had two little children and she had to come back. And uh, I remember she she found herself in a body bag in the morgue and she took all of her strength and wiggled her toes. And the attendants saw that she was alive and they took her <laughs> into the operating room and, and sewed her back together. Uh, um but I remember I asked her, why is death so dark? She said, oh, it's only dark from this side of the door. It's wonderfully bright on its other side. I thought that was a lovely thing to say. We look at the darkened side of the door, 
But those who've gone through it, if they've gone through it in the state of grace, they see the wondrous bright light of God, and we can accompany them to that bright light with our prayers. All right, that thought, we will end, and uh, we'll come back with letters. I got a lot of letters. Some of them, well, all of them are pretty good. We'll be right back. 888-914-9149. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. Well, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. song. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Even the Lord Jesus didn't want to die. He was fully like us except for sin. All right. Let us now go to, um, what is that thing? Oh yeah. Letters. Okay. Uh, Letters. Where did I put my, ah, there they are. All right. I got a letter from someone talking about how I had lost credibility with thousands I didn't know I had credibility with thousands. I don't think I do. That's why we say take it with a grain of salt. But my my uh, quoting what I believe Dr. Hans' theory about the the Nephilim uh, that that uh, this idea of the sons of God and having relationships with the sons of man. He points out in the book of Job that the angels or the God is meeting with the sons of God and the devils among them. And that seems to refer to the angels. It doesn't say it refers to the angels. Who knows what it refers to? But um, the sons of God can refer to lots of things, I suspect. But the thing that really makes me think that Dr. Hahn, if I'm quoting his theory correctly, is right, is when he says um, uh, the, the word Nephilim simply in Hebrew means the fallen. That's what it means, the fallen. And we believe in the fall from grace. So... You know, I may be wrong about it, but I have a hard time thinking that spiritual beings can have uh, physical intimacy. Uh, it's a, just a little kind of weird. So that's why I go in that direction. But who knows? We'll ask when we get there. God willing, we get there. All right. Let's see. That's one letter. This is a letter from Betsy. Uh, very interesting. A caller asked if daily mass was offered in the Orthodox Church. Most Orthodox priests are married. It would be challenging to offer liturgy every day because of the requirement to abstain from intimacy the night before. And that's that really is true. That's one of the reasons we have daily mass in the West, because the diocesan clergy kind of went east when the empire fell and they, they became less common. And we, we took our clergy largely from the monasteries where their celibacy was a kind of fasting, uh, uh, their, their, vow of, their vow of chastity. Uh, you know, that, that we don't disapprove of, of marital intimacy. It's sacramental. But you don't fast from something something uh, good or from something bad. You fast from something good. In other words, what are you giving up for Lent? I'm giving up beating my wife. That doesn't, no, that doesn't work. Or your husband, as the case may apply. 
you don't fast from something bad. You repent from something bad, but you can fast from something good. And the intimacy between husband and wife is sacramental. It's holy. But monks fasted from it. And since we got our clergy from the monasteries in the West, increasingly in the Middle Ages, um, and after the fall of the empire, uh, daily mass was possible. Uh, so that's that's an interesting uh, uh, an interesting sidebar there. Well, so let me read that again. Since most Orthodox are, priests are married, it would be challenging to offer liturgy every day because of the requirement to abstain from marital relations the night before. Some Orthodox churches offer services only on the weekend, typically Vespers on Saturday night and Divine Liturgy Sunday morning. Others have a much richer offering. For example, the church offers two or three midweek services, typically matins, Vespers, and occasionally the liturgy. Uh, that would be on first feast day. So, Betsy, thank you for that information. Um, and uh, I guess I wasn't totally mistaken. All right, let's see here. This is from uh, uh, Brett. Could heaven ever be bad or get boring? How can heaven not get boring? It goes on forever. Being somewhere for trillions of years, I don't think we're there for trillions of years. We're there eternally. In other words, we are in a different dimension of reality. And eternity means timeless. And I think I've shared with you, I, I didn't understand God's thing about adoration. Worship me, worship me. What, he's got ego issues? No. I didn't understand it until I remember uh, a young woman uh, handing, uh, she, had a, a, she was about 14 at the time, she had a crush on this guy uh, who was a, a volunteer, college-age volunteer. He had no crush on her. But I had a crush on She had a crush on him. And she handed him a lit firecracker like it was a rose. <laughs> and the look on his face, of course, he threw it. And, uh, uh, <coughs> the, well, the look on her face, <clears throat> that was worship. The, excuse me, i got to find the cough button here. Yeah, I don't want to catch anything. I'm, I'm much better. Thank you. But that was worship. And why does God want us to worship him? Because to worship is to fall in love with someone. And you see, God has fallen in love with us. That's, to me, that's what worship means, that this relationship of absolute love, which is more powerful and more wonderful than any human romance, the, that doesn't sound boring to me. Um, to be eternally in love that doesn't sound boring at all. Also, if there's no sadness in heaven, how is it how is it possibly happy knowing family is spending eternity in hell? Do the saints and angels not feel sad when we choose against God and her on earth now? Well, nothing that is good perishes. And the good that we experience with those whom we love in this world does not perish. And we will see the perfect justice of of the situation. You see, I think justice and mercy in God are the same thing. For me, I can be just or merciful. In God, justice and mercy are the same thing. That uh, C.S. Lewis in his uh, book, The Great Divorce, makes the point that no one is in hell who doesn't want to be there. In his mercy, God gives us what we ask for. And if we have insisted on living in hell, no one would want to live in hell. Oh, I, I remember the wonderful quote from... Uh, Paradise Lost by Milton, where the devil says he would rather 
rain and hell than bend the knee in heaven? Well, I think we'll be surprised when we see the, the justice and mercy of God's judgment. So I hope that helps, Brett. But heaven's not going to be boring. Not at all. All right. All right. Here's someone anonymous um, who had recommendations. Someone asked about uh, uh, a first Bible. Uh, and I recommended that she not read a paraphrase. However, I recommend the New Bible Reader, um, that the good news, um, that the New Bible Reader should read something simpler, like the Good News Translation Catholic Edition, or even the New Living Translation Catholic Edition. The Ascension Bible is good, but it can be difficult for new readers. The reason I say that is because it's not the Bible. A paraphrase is not the Bible. And I think that, you know... Uh, we need to understand that the Bible is to be read slowly and distinctly and devoutly. <laughs> that the that that the words of Scripture are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and and I I, I get a little leery about paraphrases. Um, uh, that they may be very interesting, but they're not they're not Bible. So, you know, maybe maybe give the new the new believer or the the person who's asking about Christianity. Kind of a copy of both. That might be the way to go. All right. This is um, uh, from Jim. Um, and when the earth shook on Good Friday and the dead were raised and moved through the city, is there any tradition concerning the event? For example, was this limited to the area around Jerusalem, throughout Judea or Israel, who were included in the raising, or the Old Testament saints? <laughs> I know of no uh, uh, no other tradition other than the mention of Scripture. Uh, let me pull this up. But I, I know of no other um, uh, no other uh, mention. Uh, let's see here. No, let's see. Let's see here. Um, this is, uh, okay. Matthew, oh, by the way, the phone lines are wide open at 888-914-9149. We got a lot of spaces open. 888-914-9149. Uh, what what he's referring to here is Matthew twenty seven fifty two, and what it says is the 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 graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept uh, arose, or were were raised. Um, it doesn't it doesn't uh, um, comment on it. There's no record anywhere else in the other gospels, the contemporary documents, and Matthew's account uh, doesn't doesn't explain anything. Um, uh, remember, the Gospel of Matthew is is a. Um, I really believe the Gospel of Matthew was written to Jewish people to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and Ezekiel thirty seven thirteen uh, says, "When I open your graves and bring you up out of your graves, my people, um, you will know that I'm God." So. Um, the the uh, this raising of the dead was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and the other gospels wouldn't have mentioned it, um, and I, I bet it was seen only by a few people. But um, it was mentioned by Matthew because it was part of the purpose of his gospel, and I have no doubt that it happened. Um, but I, I think it was kind of what's the word? Probably something that even when it was mentioned, people didn't really believe. So there's no other mention anywhere of it except in the Gospel of Matthew. So I think that's kind of interesting. All right. 
Let's see how we doing. Remember, 888-914-9149. I think we've got uh, time for another letter. Let's see here. Um, this is kind of interesting, which I'm, I'm sure I can make up an answer, but I'm not sure I'm right. This is uh, from um, from Angela. I have a question from my elderly grandfather. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord is God of all the universe and the worlds. How come earth is stated in this prayer? Uh, thoughts on why it was not stated, thy will be done in the universe is heaven. Well, it's a very kind letter, so thank you. Um, uh, I'm so honored that you do listen and 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 your grandfather. But I looked it up in the text, and it really is upon the earth, epites gis. Ge is the word for earth. It isn't the word cosmos, which is the established order, this, the built-up civilized earth. I think what it's referring to is, okay, there, there are two words that are translated as world or earth. Ge, G, long E, and cosmos. The word cosmos is related to our word cosmetic. It means that which is adorned, that which is built up or, or decorated. In a sense, it's the world order. And the disciples are to go throughout this cosmos. Um, but the word ge specifically refers to the material world. So what's being said here is, may it be done in the spiritual world, the heavens, so may it be done in the material world. So I think that's why they use that specific world, word for earth or dirt or the land. It's a specific word referring to the material creation. May it be done in the material world as it's done in the spiritual world. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what looking at it um, first makes me think. All right, we are going to go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, and then we will open the phones. Uh, we got some phone calls now. Good. Today, we'd like to thank Deborah, who's listening in California for donating her 1986 Volkswagen Jetta. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. <laughs> This is a bunch of, of, of Jewish guys singing the chant for the 23rd Psalm, which is the one of the responses that's common today. That's called a, a kumsitz. Which is Yiddish for come, sit down, we'll sing. They're, they're having a kumsitz. Uh, uh, and and uh, it's that beautiful, beautiful psalm. And the word of the day is, is not kumsitz. Now, did you know, you know, I'm teaching the whole world a little bit of Yiddish, even though I'm not at all Jewish. Um, the word is want. I mean, we just sort of, the voiceman said, you're going to fool me. I'm not. I'm, I, I was tested. I'm, I actually am one of 300 of my ancestors apparently was 
an East Siberian nomad. How that? He must have been very lost to get to Germany. But moving along, uh, the... Um, where was it? Oh yes, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. I, do you ever look at that? What it, what it, what it means? I mean, we just, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Well, I want a lot of things. This is an antique meaning of the word "want." When we say "want," it has to do with what we desire. But what the word means in this context is, "I shall lack nothing." To be in want—that's. I think we occasionally still say that. But the word is 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 in in Hebrew is exar, and and what it means is to be lacking. The Lord is my shepherd; I won't lack anything. You know, we worry about how will, you know, uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, who wrote the book The Hiding Place, a classic. Um, she smuggled Jews out of Germany. She was a little old lady clock repair woman and a one of the leaders of the Dutch underground. She didn't even know she was leader of the Dutch underground, but she was. Well, um, when she realized her parents were going to die at some point, she said, Papa, how will I bear it? And he said, Corey, when we go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket to get on the train? And she's a little girl. And she said, just as we get on the train, Papa. And he said, that's the way God does it. When you're going to get on the train... God will give you the ticket. You see, we so worry ahead of time about how we're going to react. But if we know the Lord, we realize that he gives us the ticket just when we're about to get on the train. We will lack nothing if we trust his grace. Um, that's the trick, though, to say, Lord, I'm trusting your grace. All right, let's go to phone calls. Telegram for you, sir. I was expecting phone calls. Yvonne from uh, Lompoc, California. What can I do for you, Yvonne? Good morning, Father. I have a quick Good morning. Um, I was reading when we pray for the holy souls and they're already in heaven, perhaps, and we don't know, the, those prayers are given to other souls that would need them. However, I read in another book that those prayers can are applied to that person already in heaven, and it's called accidental glory, where they have a greater intimacy with our Lord. And I wondered if you have heard of that. Well, not accidental glory. <laughs> um, you know, it is interesting how all sorts of people have all sorts of theories that that are absolute truth as far as they're concerned. And so I will now share my theory, which is which I regard as absolute truth. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, you know, to pray for those, there's the salt shaker, nice and loud, uh, to pray for those who've gone before us to love them. And love is never wasted. That's all I can say. I don't know. I've never been there. I haven't, I haven't had one of these beyond and back experiences. And I don't even know if someone's had beyond and back experience. They can say they've been there. I, I don't know. But I know that love is never wasted. And that, that, uh, one theory I heard was, well, that person gets to, gets to share the grace with whoever they want. You know, the big problem here is the word before, because for God, there is no time, as I say constantly. Every place is here. Every moment is now. For those of us who are in 
purgatory, we're transitioning, I think, from time to timelessness. So there, where there's change, in a sense, there's time, but it's a different time schedule. I remember hearing a story of a woman, she called in, who, who had a vision of her son who died an untimely death. And um, uh, one of the things he said when he, she had this vision of her son, I've known a number of people who've had this, this vision of, of people who've gone before. I never have, but um, uh, her son said, um, my time is different here. It's not like there. So we want to think of it exactly in the progression of time as we experience time in this world. Even in the universe, time is relative. Time goes at different rates. So I just console myself with saying, I sure hope my mom and dad are already in heaven, but I'm praying for them. And uh, I know that to pray for them is to love them. And that's good enough. Does that help a little live on? Yes, Father. It, well, it, God bless uh, you. kind of puts it in a better light as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it's not something we need to worry about. God will do with our prayers the best he can, and that's pretty good. So God bless you. Thanks for listening, Yvonne. Let's go to Terry from Cincinnati. <coughs> are, you, are you with us? I'm here. Yes, yes. I'm here. Yes, Father. Uh, my 11-year-old granddaughter likes Harry Potter, and <sighs> um, she... I I'm not comfortable with that, but let her parent her parents let her. So, anyway, I was wondering what you have to say on that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna make people unhappy no matter what I say. Uh, voice in my head, you probably remember this. Didn't Pope Benedict say they weren't so bad? There was There's some. The the, 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 I think the Observatory Romano did like a review of them. There was like. You know, 20 years ago, it was like Pope Benedict wasn't a fan, but yeah. then there were some people at the Vatican who thought it was okay at some point. Um, yeah, so there was kind of some back and forth, I would say, on it from the Vatican level. The problem I have with the Harry Potter movies is that uh, the idea of magic, um, it's uh, some that, that somehow I can manipulate the world around me without without reference to God, that that magic is very dangerous because it tries to manipulate uh, the world without reference to the will of God. But on the other hand, um, the good guys win in the Harry Potter movies. So there's some good in them and some bad in them. And if, 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 uh, if the, um, if your granddaughter understands that this is just fantasy it's a fun adventure story. It's just fantasy. And you can tell her the real magic. You know, I, what I would do is I would say, you think this is good? I know a book that has real demons and real witches and real, uh, real uh, celestial beings. It's called the Bible, you know. Um, and I would get her uh, the picture Bible. What was the, oh, what is that Bible that I always, it's the cartoon Bible. Let me pull that up. I always forget the actual reverence. Isn't it just but, called the cartoon Bible? I think it's called the Cartoon Bible, yeah. The, um, okay. Oh, yeah, and give her the Chronicles of Narnia, the voice in my head just said. That's a good one. Uh, um, it, it's, it's, it's really, no, it's not called the Cartoon Bible, I don't think. Um, good grief. Uh, it, it's a wonderful illustrated, uh, 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 let me see, a work that, Darn it! I can't find it. Uh, it's it's a wonderful uh, uh, Bible. Um, uh, 
for kids. It's a picture Bible, but it's the whole Bible. Uh, so that's a if, can, if anyone knows that, call it in. Okay. Good grief. Okay, let's. Ah, here it is. I found it. The picture Bible. It's the picture Bible. Uh, and it is. Uh, oh, let's see. Let me pull it up. Get her the picture Bible. Uh, kids love it that age. And it's um, by Iva Hoth. H-O-T-H. Uh, um, it's really good. But, uh, and also Chronicles of Narnia. You like, you like the, the uh, uh, Harry Potter movies? You'll really like the Chronicles of Narnia. You can get the, both the books by C.S. Lewis and there's movie version. So that's what I would suggest. You can't, you know, forbidden fruit is sweetest. So give her something even sweeter than the forbidden fruit she's eating. Does that help a little? Yes, it does. It does much. The only thing is, um, you know, it's mentioned to her the way the Bible uh, does uh, is against um, sorcery. And she just got this look on her face. I didn't realize she was into Harry Potter yet. Like she felt guilty about something. (laughs) And I'm thinking it because she, you know, loves these Harry Potter books. And she, I told her that the Bible says sorcery is wrong. Magic is wrong. Now, I think she kind of was wondering she didn't ask me, well, you know, didn't say anything. But Yeah. Maybe you can amend no. that statement by saying, well, the reason the Bible says it's wrong, it's because it's dangerous. And Harry mm-hmm. Potter movies okay. certainly point out how dangerous it is. You know, they're always okay. falling afoul of, of, of magic. And magic is very dangerous because it comes to control us instead of us controlling it. We think we can control it. But here's something that you might enjoy also. If you enjoy Harry Potter, you're going to love this stuff. So, you know, yeah. take something positive and put it in the place of something negative that's what i would do right you know and right. and if if people realize this harry potter is just adventure and uh and that that real magic is a very dangerous thing it's if she were to develop a an obsession with with uh that sort of thing it would be very dangerous so that's what you want to emphasize right. all okay. right hope that helps okay, god thanks. bless thank you all right god bless Let's go to Donna from Phoenix. Donna, what can I do from you? From what can I do from you? What can I do for you? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Father, you know you were talking about the Bible when I uh, different versions, and and some of them they say, um, oh gosh, now see, I'm old and I can't remember stuff, but they say, um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, God, let's oh, see. Oh, gee, it's the one at the beginning of the mat. Let's oh, see, what is it? Oh, yes. where they say, help me. Glory to God in the highest and peace Father, on earth on, to people of, to men of goodwill. You go. Peace, glory Thank to God you. in the highest and on earth, peace to men of goodwill. Yes. What's the question about yeah. it? Well, there's another version that says peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, this is a That's quote totally from Luke. It's a quote. It's a it's a, a loose quote from Luke, the second chapter, the 14th verse. And it does say glory to God in the highest the highest places, mm-hmm. and upon mm-hmm. earth, peace among men of, uh, uh, it can be, it's eftochias, right? which it can mean of goodwill. Uh, it really means of good pleasure, of, of, of mm-hmm. the feeling of, uh, it, 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 some people translate it, uh, who are, who, who please God, but it's, it's, it really means eftochia, uh, F that EU means good and Dokia means, well, what Dokia, it's kind of hard. Uh, it means to seem or to appear uh, to men 
who who will the, I would translate it who will the good. So men of goodwill. Okay. Well, that basically yeah. is the same as two men of goodwill, right? It would be that. Yeah, more than essentially, it's it's. Because yeah, that didn't make and, sense to me at all. I, yes, I mean, no, it, it, I mean, it didn't make sense because I mean, well, if you're doing bad, you're not going to have peace. <laughs> Yes, yes. It literally says, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men." Eftokias, which means men of good intention. That's that's how I would translate it. So there you go, Luke two fourteen. I hope that helps a little. Okay. Well, yeah, it does because the other one just is totally off base. It's the off okay. Well, there you go. Saying. Yeah, in, the, in the Gloria, say peace on the men of goodwill. Yeah, it's what we say in the Gloria. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, Donna. Thank oh, you, my, I'm going to have to really think about this. All right. Let's go to Judy okay. from, from Norwalk, California. What can I do for you? Um, hi, Father. I do have two questions. I have a dear Protestant friend whom we often um, we talk about prayer and stuff. Uh, we're talking about praying for the children. I mentioned to her about um, St. Monica, St. Augustine of Hippo, and she goes to Calvary Chapel. So my questions are, do they go by or reference to the fathers? I, I said, do you know who that is? She's like, no. And her mother was a devout Catholic. And I'm like, she's like, no, I don't know who that is. Do, she's Calvary Chapel. So do they ever reference to the fathers of the church or anything? You know, oh, oh, the only Protestants I've known who reference the fathers of the church would be high church Protestants, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian. Calvary Temple sounds Pentecostal, and they're very much sola scriptura, Bible alone. Why would you need that? In fact, it's, it's kind of dangerous for, for Protestant, uh, fundamentalist Protestants to look at the fathers of the church, because if they look deep enough, they're going to find the Catholic church. So... Uh, more formal churches, yeah, they would look at the fathers of the church. But uh, fundamentalists, Baptist, Pentecostal, uh, like Assembly of God, which Calvary Temple is probably an Assembly of God church, they really don't. So, uh, they're but they're very intrigued. Some, well, we have a lot of early Christian writings from the very first century, from when the apostles were still alive, like the Didache, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. They're utterly intrigued by it. So, I would I would get her. <laughs> A copy of some early church fathers, uh, or Mike Aquilina's books on the early church fathers. They they'd be interested in them. So I hope that helps a little. Thanks for calling, Judy. Shirley, if you can give me a question real quickly, we just got a few seconds. Yes. Oh, hi, Father. So nice to hear your voice, yes. and I love all those chants you put on there. But my oh, question well, is: uh, Is it? A good idea to read Revelation? Oh, certainly, certainly. It's Bible, and it's good to read it. But understand, it's a vision, and it's very hard to understand. It's good to read it, but to say, well, this is what this means, this is what that means, who knows? We'll only know when the prophecy is fulfilled. And speaking of fulfilled prophecy, I'm prophesying that Drew is coming up in a moment or two, and I bet I'm right about that. 